I'm Robin D.G. Kelly. And this is Errol Garner Uncovered. Who is Errol Garner to you? He has such control over this place that he's made for you, this little world that he could be like, I'm just going to turn the lights off for a minute. It's okay. You know, it's going to be all right. You're still here, you know? And, and, and that's, that's one of the feelings that I get from his music in general is like, it's going to be okay. The first thing that I think of is the feeling, right? And it's just a sort of undeniable feeling. It's like you can't resist it. Hi, I'm Pete Lockhart, senior producer for Octave Music. It's been a long hiatus, but we're back. And for this episode of Uncovered, Robin D.G. Kelly is joined remotely by the incredible guitarist and composer, Miles Okazaki. They discuss Garner's album, That's My Kick, a pivotal record in his career, recorded in 1966, marked by an all-new band and an ambitious selection of original songs and songbook classics. And lucky for all of us, Miles Okazaki brought his guitar along for the ride. I think you'll love hearing him break down and recreate the legendary rhythms of Garner's left hand. Here's host, Robin D.G. Kelly. Miles Okazaki, welcome to our show. Uh, it's great to have you here. Uh, you know, I've been following your work for a long time. Um, your, your mind-blowing compilation of work, called work, The Complete Compositions of Thelonious Monk for solo guitar is a, a masterpiece uh, and also, congratulations on the recent release of The Sky Below, which is a, an amazing uh, recording, like everything you do, which is available on Pi Records. We begin these conversations with uh, one question always. Mm. Um, and it's always the same question. Who is Errol Garner to you? I see. Well, um, well, let me start out by first saying thank you for making the time, Professor Kelly. I'm imagining right now, everything is existing in this context of what's happening right now. And I'm imagining that you're one of the busiest people on the face of the earth right now. Everybody wants a piece of you to comment on. <laughs> so I, I was thinking about this question or something like it um, because it's like, well, what, you know, in the midst of all, all this turmoil and upheaval and and what what does Errol Garner mean in this context, mm -hmm. you know? Right. And uh, um, what's the message, you know? And I guess it's it's always, it's the same as when you ask people, I mean, I'm not an Errol Garner expert, right? But I've listened to enough to to know what the feeling is. You know, when you, when you know someone um, and you think of them, they bring a certain feeling to your mind, you know, they bring a smile to your face. That person's funny. They, you like to have them around. Oh, this person's very serious, you know? And, and so Errol Garner brings you a feeling. The first thing that I think of is the feeling, right? And it's mm. just, it's something about... Um, his ability to project a sort of undeniable feeling. It's like, you can't resist it. It's, I mean, people say irresistible, right? And sort of a, it's sort of an overused word, like, ooh, these cookies are irresistible or something. But, <laughs> but this is irresistible, like in a real, real sense, like you really, as a human being, you cannot resist this feeling that he's putting out there. He's putting everything out there. And you can tell there's no like, there's no barrier to the humanity that he's projecting through the way that he's playing. And that, to me, at this time, although it seems like a strange music because you think of it as being very lighthearted, mm -hmm. uh, 
it seems like, well, well, you know, we're talking about Errol Garner right now, but but it seems actually very appropriate because right. it's about this sort of this this humanity that you can't if you if you listen to his music and are drawn into it like most people are. I mean, I was playing it the other night that we were just sitting around. I had it on the background and my kids were feeling it and they don't even, hey, I have no idea who Errol Garner is. Right. So, but they're like, you know, they're <laughs> bopping their heads and all, all this stuff. It's like, wow, you know, this is from 60 years ago. And right. it's just, it's, it's a very actually pretty abstract music and still um, they could feel that. I really appreciate uh, these insights because it is hard to talk about uh, music in without having to filter it through the noise that we're dealing with at this moment. Um, and yet at the same time, um, there's something, uh, something urgent about returning to a figure like Earl Garner. This was the first studio, uh, full studio album he had made in like five years. You know, he'd been on the road and it was a tough time for him. And this is also um, 1966, you know, where much of what we're seeing today in terms of rebellions against police violence, that's the world in which he recorded this album, right. you know? Right. I mean, 1966, you know, this is a year before the rebellions of 67 in Newark and places like mm -hmm. that. Um, so here we are, we're dealing with an, an artist who people argue over and they argue mm. about whether or not Garner has ability to read music and is this, you know, what does right, it mean to right. read versus his intuition? How much of this is thought out? How much is this composed? What's going on with the, the introductions? And in some ways that captures the trickster quality of Earl Garner. Mm. Um, and so his ability to you know, our ability to know what he's doing, you know, and, and you open up that space for me. And, and I think for, for listeners. Uh, so do you remember when you first heard his music? And, and if so, um, do you recall any first impressions? What did you think about Errol Garner? I do remember, I don't remember the exact moment or anything like that, but it was definitely Concert by the Sea, you know. And it was at the time when I was starting to learn about um, about improvisation, about Black American music, and about this tradition, you know. And at the same time, I was getting into Thelonious Monk and, and other just sort of classic figures without a real context of understanding how one thing leads to another or anything like that. Everything's just sort of sound, you know. And uh, this is like 12 or 13 years old, you know. And, uh, and I guess it's something like when you hear something or you see something and you didn't know it was possible and then it and then it you realize that it's possible you know and this is there's tons of examples of course like on the piano there's you know like art tatum or something like that all people's you know there's there's people who seem to transcend the mm -hmm. instrument and then that brings the whole practice to a new level 
or there are things like, uh, I don't know, Roger Bannister with the four minute mile or something like somebody breaks the record and then suddenly other people can do it. Like right. it just wasn't really <laughs> um, conceived of before. And for me, what it was with Errol Garner was like, wow, I didn't realize that it was possible to have like a swing that was that hard. Like, I think I had, I had listened to some hard swinging stuff, but I didn't, I didn't grow up in a culture like where this is just all over the house or anything like that. I was just kind of discovering things on my own. So that just total commitment to the feel, to that swing, and that that is just, it's almost taking it to a level where it's, it's almost abstracted beyond the form of the art itself. It's just like this feeling is just so strong. It's like, wow, how can you swing that hard mm -hmm. and not have it almost be like a, some sort of joke or something like that? Cause it's not fun. It, it's humorous and playful, but it's not a joke. It's very serious, you know? Uh, I mean, that's the feeling I got, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and uh, later on reading some interviews and stuff, it'd be like, that's what people who played with him would say. Well, yeah, he was a, he was a funny, person he had he had a sense of humor and he would do little musical things and references and jokes and things like that but he was deadly serious about what he was doing you know so anyway i didn't i didn't understand all that when I, but just as a sonic thing and as a feeling thing you know i think when i first heard errol garner yeah it was something like wow that's possible it's possible to swing like a human can do that i mean you know i don't know if i ever can but it's amazing to to <laughs> to that this is captured and it exists, and I can feel it 60, 50 years later, whatever. Well, I guess at that time, 40 years later. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, exactly. but, you know, so you were, this so you were in high school then. So you, yeah, so you're in high early school. high school. And, and yeah. who, who else? I just thought, just to give some context, um, so you're listening to Earl Garner, you're definitely listening to Monk. Who mm -hmm. else were you listening around Earl Garner that would make him pop that way? You know, I really like listening to piano players. So there would be like Wynton Kelly, uh, Red Garland, uh, a little bit of Herbie Hancock, although it was a little bit far out from me at that time. I was like, eh, I'm not sure, you know. And then, and then, you know, I was pretty. Actually, I was kind of like followed the music kind of chronologically. Mm -hmm. Like I was I mean, on, like on a guitar. I was into like Charlie Christian, you know. Right. And 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 so, um, some people discover like I don't know Headhunters, and then that brings them to Herbie Hancock mm -hmm. or something like that. But I kind of went. I kind of went in a sort of linear way a little bit, right, right. for whatever reason. Right. Uh, you know, I was, of course, listening to a lot of guitar players and Grant Green and Wes Montgomery and, and Jim Hall, uh, Charlie Christian, as I said, a little bit of George Benson. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, also interested in the in the rhythm guitar thing, like the uh, um, Freddie Green. And, yes. and of course, you know, that's one of the subjects that we'll probably yes. uh, touch on today. So Yes. In fact, let's jump into this this question. So, you know, I, I wanted you on my show because... For two reasons. Uh, one is that, you know, in all of our conversations, I, I always learn so much from you. I mean, you're like oh. one of the smartest people I know when it comes to talking about this music. Uh, but there are two very specific reasons. One is that this particular record we're talking about, um, That's My Kick, um, is really a, a, a Garner com composition work. In other words, here's Garner's talent as a composer on, mm. on full display. Um, it's unusual in that seven of the 12 songs are Garner originals, and that's mm -hmm. unique. I mean, he played the standards, but he made his own songs sound like standards. The second reason, of course, is because he adds guitar. Um, and we'll talk about that. He has, um, you know, Art Ryerson on two of the tracks and Wally Richardson 
We'll talk about them. Uh, and it's interesting because, you know, it's not as if he hasn't used guitar or played with guitar players. You know, he, he's been playing with guitar players on and off since 1945. You know, Irving Ashby, you know, Ulysses Livingston, Barney Kessel was in his big band for A New Kind of Love. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's unusual, but, you know, it's not like this is his first time. Uh, so I really want to talk about what you hear in his use of, of these two guitar players, especially given the fact that they never solo. You know, yeah. I mean, talk about <laughs> rhythm guitar. I mean, this is, this is Garner's way. I mean, he, no one solos but him, basically. Mm -hmm. And yet these two musicians had very distinguished careers as studio musicians. Um, so let's just, just generally speaking, what do you hear in these recordings? And what do you make of his use of these rhythm guitar players? Right. Well, the role of the guitar in this type of group is, is um, of course, supportive, right? When I'm listening to the record, I imagine, well, what if I was in that position? You know, like you think like, what would you do in this situation where Errol Garner already has it covered? I mean, it's you're not really... Um, <laughs> that necessary <laughs> so so but but then that's it's it's a it's an interesting thing it's like well what can i add because the usual thing you that you want to be thinking is well if you don't have anything to say just don't say anything you know don't don't take up space don't take up all the air in the group by doing some stuff that's that's extraneous and doesn't add to to what's going on you know and so i was listening to that um these two different guitar players now, uh, Art Ryerson is just on a, on a couple of tracks uh, that kind of bookend the record. And a person's approach is very revealing, you know, to what they think is, is necessary in that situation, you know. So Art Ryerson, who starts off the record on That's My Kick on the title track, you notice that he's playing, he's more of an active player. Mm -hmm. Like he's playing these upbeats in the spaces whereas wally richardson like as you go through like i never hear him do that i hear him just really try to stay in the pocket right in the mix like like almost inaudible really in a way that of, of providing something that's really felt and it, it sort of is a thickener you know it's like the the okra of the corn starch or something. so so you know it, it's like in there but you don't it, it doesn't it, you if you don't, if you're not listening for it, you might not even hear it, mm -hmm. you know. Right, so, right, right. Well, you know, you know let's, 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 let's start yeah. with um, That's My Kick and listen to it. Mm -hmm. And um, and let me get your take on it, both in terms of what Ryerson is doing, but also your thoughts about, um, about Garner in that spectacular introduction.
I love it when he does that thing where he's playing so far behind the beat that it almost gets to the, a different beat. You know, it's, it's like stretching space time, you know. This is <laughs> It's, it's funny because uh, during the head, when he's playing the da 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 he's doing the, um, the melody, uh, Errol Garner's playing the melody, he's not, he's not feathering the left hand, um, and so that does open up that space for the guitar. I don't know if that's an intentional thing or what, but... Um, and you would hear, like, uh, someone like Freddie Green or Wally Richardson on some of these other tracks play it straight, you know, like... Uh, Just, just, just straight, straight, straight notes, and and Art Ryers is doing a thing kind of like he's doing these little skips, right? So then the skips, you can hear them in between the beats. Now that's it's funny. It's I can't. I don't know if I can really articulate what I'm trying to say, but there's a way of playing these straight quarter notes which are like almost the most basic musical information you can have and a way to make those swing, those kind of give you an indication of what type of feeling, mm -hmm. what type of swing it is, you know? And he's playing it like, like a certain way where it's like, it's pretty late. That skip is like late in the beat. I don't know. I don't want to get like too technical right. and all that, but, but no, that's great. But, but, you know, the in between stuff, it's like a lot of, space that that's where you as a listener get to insert your feeling of what you how you want it to swing right right do you yeah, know what i mean it's exactly you know it's interesting with art virus and i want to stick with him for a second because he he's older i mean he's he's basically as old as as errol garner i mean he's older uh right, he was I born think, in 1913 yeah, um from yeah. columbus ohio this white guy who started out playing in what's equivalent to not quite a minstrel band, but sort of those, that early, you know. Um, Paul Whiteman. The, uh, yeah, the, like even before Paul Whiteman in, in Columbus. But he also played with all these people, Ella Fitzgerald, Louis Armstrong, Mildred mm -hmm. Bailey, Elvis Presley, and Bill Haley. And this is the thing, I mean, he was, he was famous for his rock and roll backing of Bill Haley. Mm -hmm. um, right. And so, you know, in some ways he's very accomplished very connected. Um, I'm wondering if if that background do you think may explain, you know, his approach uh, to Garner, or even if Garner's telling him, you know, look, this is what I want you to do. <laughs> it, it's it's just funny that there's so many of these people with these huge resumes that are just that that sort of you don't know about. They're not right. they're not canonized, you know. And and I've had teachers who are those people, you know, like. Um, my main mentor when I moved to New York was Rodney Jones. Mm -hmm. Rodney Jones is pretty well known, but he's not known to like the person on the street, you know, not like George Benson or something like that, you know. So, but but he's he has this same type of resume, you know, Lena Horne, Ruth Brown, uh, you know, Dizzy Gillespie, you know, huge resume where it's focused really on the craft mm -hmm. of doing a doing a job and right. doing a job really well. And and I feel like like um, 
both of the guitarists on this record are sort of in that area where like, you know, oh, I think I've got a job, I'm working. I'm just, you know, <laughs> let me, let me just keep, <laughs> keep my head down and, 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 uh, and build this, you know, build this career. Yeah, exactly. I'm dying to talk to you about Afinidad. Like it's kind of a straight rhythm but he's still swinging on top of it and it's like it's like this and also he'll do that on on a real rounded kind of swing songs he'll play kind of straight you know he, you heard him doing that on the first tune when he's laying back so much that it and that that play with the rhythmic tension is i think a huge contributing factor to just the impression of the sonic impression you know in the left hand like uh, it's easy to focus on the right hand because that's up top you know but the left hand i mean that's a whole world you know how is he creating variety with just such a sort of limited um palette you know and, and even when he's just doing the quarter notes it's like wow he's, he's creating this driving um uh swinging feel just the thing with if you hear it in isolation it's maybe doesn't sound like that, but it's in the context of these other things and it's against that. And so now he's playing something that's more like, like, which is sort of long, long, short, but long, long, short, long, long, short. And sometimes he'll do it. He'll do the, he'll do the two bar version like the long, Short, short. And, and just the combination of those things, which are basically like units of three and two and stuff like that, like kind of kind of scrambling those up, you can get a million different variations. And and I mean, when I hear that, I hear, I hear. I hear Charleston, you know, basically, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is a version of a clave, which is so all these things sort of like connect, right? Mm -hmm. But I, I heard that song and immediately I thought of Mischief Maker on your, on your oh, album wow. Trickster. You know, what you describe to me is Errol Garner. You, you say, you're right, it's inspired by the African deity Eshu. In one story, he wears a hat that is half red and half black, causing two neighbors to argue about his true color. The confusion, these are your words, the confusion over <laughs> this teaches some lessons about context and ways of knowing. 
contexts and ways of knowing, right? Different people will hear the playful rhythm of the song differently. None are wrong, but none are completely right either. There is actually an interesting connection, though, which mm -hmm. I just thought of in terms of ways of knowing, right? Um, I can't, I, many of the, of the tunes that we play, I can't count them off because like Sean, the drummer, he actually doesn't feel the same beat as the bass player mm -hmm. or me. Like, so I just have to start playing. Because if I say one, because that tune, it has a rhythm that's it. Now the drummer's feeling, he's feeling this kind of thing. Whereas I'm feeling, so I'm feeling a slow beat and he's feeling a faster beat. And they're both, as as the thing said, they're both, they both work. I mean, they both work. You don't have to, if it was written down, it wouldn't work. Right. See, that's an example of, of of where notation fails us, you know, mm -hmm. in, in this kind of music, you know. Um, I mean, it, there is a version written down because I have a score, but it's irrelevant, you right. know, because <laughs> it wasn't written down when I when we recorded it. I mean, it, well, there was a version of it, but but it wasn't written down for for the drummer, for mm -hmm. example. Like right. he didn't he doesn't care. He doesn't care what it looks like. He just want, he's like, what does it sound like, you know? And 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 uh, and so there is there's a liminal thing going on the boundary type of thing which is very interesting it's always been an interesting thing for me what happens in these areas where it's neither one thing or the other right you know you know i've seen you play live many times but you know with steve coleman and also with your band and like garner you have you know i i could i could have binoculars and like focus on what your fingers are doing and I still don't know how you do it. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, Garner's up there playing all this music and, you know, he doesn't seem to be, you know, he's, he's in it, but it does seem to be kind of effortless, even though he sweats. But there's something about your ability to do things with the guitar that just seem impossible. Um, and yet it happens. And I know it's your guitar because I, I, I know it's connected to the speaker. And I hear it, <laughs> but I'm like, how do you do that? I mean, so there's that element again, keeps coming. I keep coming back to, to the trickster element, which of course is deep, deep in, in the African tradition, but it's also deep in many other traditions um, throughout the world. Uh, and, and you are the kind of the embodiment of that. And the trickster, you have to remember, uh, is not, um, it's not an evil character. It's not, you know, that's not the point of the trickster. The trickster is, is a, a way of being able for us to see things differently mm -hmm. uh, right. and to move. And we all need tricksters. We all need tricksters in our life. Uh, and so in some respects, I think of Earl Garner Uncovered as a way to reveal um, the kind of mischief that he creates, but it's a beautiful mischief. It's a mischief that, that keeps us um, on our toes keeps us on our toes dancing, keeps us on our toes in terms of just being aware uh, of the world. And, and I couldn't think of a better person to, to share this with than, than, than you, Miles.
I mean, those intros, they are portals, you know? I feel like that. Like, that's what the trickster does. It opens the portal. Maybe it doesn't go through, but it shows you where it is, you know? And and it's out there, you know? And we can walk through it and decide whether or not you want to see <laughs> what's on the other side, you know? That's right. And if you just took those intros, you would have a, a corpus of compositions that was, like, comparable to anybody you know like these these things are compositions they're mm-hmm. compositions on the level of 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 um you know anything that you could sit there and puzzle out mm-hmm. writing it down slowly but he's doing it in real time you know of course you know it's a cliche like improvisation is like fast composition or whatever um but the level of detail and the level of precision is not i, I don't think it's really understood like or it's not acknowledged maybe you know right well, you know, the, the intros have been um, a feature of every single conversation I've had with people about Garner. Of, yeah, I mean, of it's, yeah. it's, it's the thing that, that stands out. And, you know, and I keep coming back to um, a couple of things. I keep coming back to the trickster element, you know, mm-hmm. that you, um, you, you both write about and also um, uh, embody in many ways. And it's so much a part of this music, but for, for Garner especially. Um, and there's also the element of, um, of indirection, you know? Mm-hmm. You don't know where he's going to go. And, and all of his sidemen, all the people who play with him say the same thing. He starts with the introduction with no indication what he's actually right. going to play. It's not like the, the intros are part of the composition, but they, they become part of the composition. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they don't seem to have any particular relationship until you like study them. And imagine you're sitting near your bass player, you're trying to figure out what's next, and then you have to jump right into the song. There was one part I was listening to, um, what tune was it? More. More, yeah. More. There's a break that he takes, I mean, there's an amazing intro, but then there's there's a break that he takes on that that is that's really i was like well that's like a little etude just this little thing mm-hmm. i mean more is um uh was a theme music for the documentary mondo kane and it was the strange i mean it's, it's interesting because it's a very strange documentary it was meant to shock viewers and had all these like different allegedly shocking scenes of daily life around the world asia europe mm. latin america uh, and and again, it brings me back to the trickster issue because, you know, the documentary was was a kind of a trickster, uh, mm. had a trickster element because some of the scenes are contrived. Right. Um, that song more became so popular um, and it's probably my favorite of, of all of Garner's performances. kind of capture the trickster element of the film. That is mm. that, you know, you mm. think you're seeing one thing, but something's about to happen that's going to shock you. Mm. 
wanted to bring up that break. I mean, it's something, um, I don't really know what to say about it, except that it has this feeling of inevitability to where it's going, you know, like, and I feel that with those intros, it's almost like an intro in the middle of the tune because it's outside of the form. And he takes it as if it's a break on the last two bars of the tune, like often happens, you know, but then it just keeps going. And it's clear from harmonically what he's doing, which is like often a, he's doing some some other stuff that's not as clear that he's not he's gonna he's gonna suspend the tune for a minute while he does this in this episode, you know. <laughs> and, and and so but and the episode is like I mean, to go a little bit into your territory, a little bit of a surrealist thing almost, because it's like, okay, you thought this was that this is where you are, but actually it could go here, you know, mm-hmm. and there's no reason why I can't make it go there, you know, and, and then we can come back, you know, but this is also an option, you know, it's not like this is the, the way, this is the container that we have to stay in. And so he puts this thing, it's like outside and then, and then musically it does have this same, I mean, that tune I was talking about before that has the slow tempo and the fast tempo, the, it has, has this thing it feels like it's slow but it's actually fast you know so it's that's directly inspired from things like this where this left hand is playing this ostinato thing which is like the tempo's here and he's playing like real strong in the left hand so that it actually feels like don't 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 it feels like this other tempo there's two things are happening you know and and it's not just two like like things that are anything is two very precise things that have a direct rub against each other in certain ways, you know, because he's not playing straight in the right hand either. You know, he's, he's, he's playing with the time while this other thing is holding down this other thing. I mean, it's really crazy. I mean, I, I would, you know, I'd use other words, but I don't know what kind of podcast this is, but, but you know, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, it's uh, that I mean when I hear that that's the kind of thing that makes you jump up and say like oh okay, uh, this is not uh, some background stuff. If you didn't have that at the beginning, how would it, how would you perceive it right. differently? Like what right. what is it what what does that do to you as a listener? You right. Know? Let's explore together the shadow of your smile.
Yeah, I mean, you hear that um, when we were listening to uh, Affinidad, right? We, you, you hear that figure, that dun, 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 dun. But now it has like a little little hump on it, right? So instead of being dun, 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 now it's like dun. This area of rhythm where it's it's sort of you can't pin it down really he's he's changing it up so much and it's sort of in this just in between part between is it kind of straight is it kind of is it the swing this i mean <laughs> you can kind of hear a little bit of ambivalence in the rhythm section too like it's sort of like which <laughs> are we going to choose a side or are we just going to kind of stay here you know and i like that i really to me that's that feels um active you know mm -hmm. it feels like it feels like you f you hear that that a little bit of ambivalence you hear a little bit of the tightrope walking element right. you know right. it's not sitting in one place or another there's a there's a pleasure in sitting in the spot too you know like when i hear Winton kelly trio and they're all synchronized and sitting in the spot the, but this is sort of different you know i compare sometimes i like to I, actually when i was listening to some of this i was thinking about other um Pianists like Pittsburgh pianists like Ahmad Jamal, for example, you know, who's a little bit younger, but but has you know in a lot of the arrangements something like this, like a shout chorus, right. you know, that happens near the end and all that. This sort of this big band sort of way of progressing through the through the form, <laughs> but it is it, the the way of of doing that is so much different um, in Ahmad Jamal's aesthetic. You know, it's sort of like you don't it, it's the rawness of 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 Errol Garner, the tactile, the all the stuff that you can you can feel it, you can you can feel him just just manhandling the, <laughs> the instrument, you know, you know, I mean, is it that that is it's so interesting for me to hear, like, okay, this is kind of a um, like when you can kind of compress um, people who are from a similar maybe um, area and time and 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 tradition and see how how they might approach. Um, this format, you know, exactly. and, and come up with all these different ways of, of doing it, you know? Yeah. It brings me to Wally Richardson, you know, who mm -hmm. Wally Richardson is so different. I mean, he was born in 1930, mm -hmm. born in Harlem. Right. He's African-American. Right. Uh, he came up with, in the jazz world, but also in the R&B world, Arthur Prysock, King Curtis, played with Shirley right. Scott, all those, played with B.B. King, James Brown. In fact, he had joined James Brown's band right before this session and continued mm -hmm. with James Brown after. And, you know, you don't really hear much of him. Yeah. Um, and if you do, I want to, I really want to know what you, what, what you're hearing and just his, his place in this, in these recordings. And, you know, that, that, that way of playing the guitar is like, it, it, it resonates with me, you know? Um, which is is doing stuff that's natural on the guitar. He's not trying to play piano on the guitar. He's not trying to play saxophone on the guitar. He's playing the guitar. You know, he's not trying to do some like you know, some some real some real, you know, abstract stuff. It's just like you know, 
It's, it's the stuff that comes natural on guitar when you when you when you play. There's, there's no secret about it, but there's a there's like that thing, and then there's a Brazilian thing too. That for me, like, it was very big for me, which is like, oh, I see. That's how you should play guitar. Like that's, that's just it just feels so good, you know. And I I I feel like like Charlie Christian was the one who opened up that door for me, which was like he's found a way to get the language in there in a way in the package of it also feeling good it's not mm -hmm. like forced in that way so so I, I i really um identify with those types of players you know because although i i um you know i do try to stretch what language i'm using i always in the end put it through that filter right you know? right yeah. well let's, let's let's talk a little bit about um some of garner's original compositions you know uh, on this album, um, he recorded Nervous Waltz. Mm -hmm. And Nervous Waltz is one of the few waltzes he plays. It starts in three, four time, and then it starts to move. Um, you know, in, in my ears, it just like jumps to six, eight, and 12, eight. You know, and 12, eight mm -hmm. is that, that gospel feel in the, in the improvisation. So I wonder mm -hmm. if you could listen to that and, and get your, your sense of, of this tune, both, you know, in terms of time, but also in terms mm -hmm. of, of, you know, one of Garner's compositions. <laughs> It's what I was. I laughed a little bit at the beginning because it sounds like one of those intros where he's pretending to play in, in a different time signature, or, and then it actually turns out to be in three. You know, which is sort of the original odd time signature because it's an odd number, right? People don't think of that as odd, but you know, it is. You know, you start off with this very almost intentionally stiff feeling thing. You know. <laughs> You know, this is this, 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 it's, it's almost corny, you know, like in terms of like how stiff it is, but then it, it gradually loosens up. I, I do a lot of like running, you know, like mm -hmm. just exercise. And like sometimes you try to synchronize your breath with your steps, you know, and, and it works for a little while, but then it's like, no, you can't, it doesn't. You can't, there's certain things you just can't, you got to breathe. You're going to, you got you to like, you got to do it in a natural way. And so it, it's almost like he's making fun of this waltz, this, 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 <laughs> this sort of, this, this, this artificial, this sort of number thing that we do with music, you know, where you say, this is in three. You know, well, is it? I mean, you know, I mean, maybe that's a container. Mm -hmm. You could measure it. This jar might be three liters, but if I measured it in gallons, it's some other thing, you know, mm -hmm. so, but it's still the same amount of stuff, you know, so it depends on how you measure it, you know, and, and like, I feel like there's almost, it's almost like a thing of like, okay, I'm going to show you 
the sort of slide rule version and then I'm going to be free, you know, within that space. I'm going to, it's this, here's the separated oil and water things inside and then I'm going to shake it up so it's all just a mixture, right. you know. And by the end of that, yeah, he is, he's, you know, dun, dun. he's still doing this in the left hand to sort of say like, hey, I still know what I'm doing. Like, <laughs> it's still there, you know. But he's, you know, he's, he's like, he's like, dun, 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 dun. and he's got this other beat and, da, 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 and he's doing fast and he's doing stuff where he's, it's not just clicking from one gear to another. By gear, I mean it could be like and it could be like a different speed, but he's doing it where it's where it's gradually moving from one thing to another. Exactly, you know? exactly. I want to talk about uh, Gaslight. You know, Gaslight is one of those tunes people compare it to Misty, mm-hmm. uh, which is his most famous uh, uh, composition, or to Solitaire. You know, these really lovely um, ballads. And Gaslight is on this recording, remastered beautifully. Um, and, you know, it's one of these classics that sound like a standard and you have to stop and say, oh, yeah, wait a second, that's Garner's original. Um, and, you know, when I listen to it, I hear elements in the melody that borrow from like Stairway to the Stars, for example, mm-hmm. the Mitchell Parrish tune, mm-hmm. uh, Tad Dameron you know, if you could see me now, like little bits and pieces of that in there. So I love to listen to it. And just as a composer uh, and as a great musician, just to get your impression Mm -hmm. about this song, Gaslight. listened to this album but i wasn't reading the liner notes or anything so i didn't know i figured this might have been a standard i didn't know it sounds like an old movie tune or something you know and and it's 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 one of those things where it's like okay how are you gonna decide to sort of take people by the hand and bring them along in your in your performance or your or your song or your composition something that I, I've thought about for a long time. It's like, one way is to just say, this is something new. Uh, this is something that you've never heard before. Deal with it, you know. And then there's another way. It's like, I'm going to use these elements that you're familiar with, but I'm going to combine them in a certain way that it then is a bridge from things that you know. sounds like a foggy day or sounds a little like stardust or something like that you know and and 
And then I'm going to just expand it a little bit. Now that I have you in my, <laughs> in the house, you know, or whatever, you know, <laughs> I've brought you in through this, this sort of inviting thing, this, through things that you already know. It's like, oh, you know, it's like when you meet somebody, who's this person? Oh, they're a friend of mine. They're cool. You know, whatever. So <laughs> like, you know, it's, like it gives you a way, it gives you a way to interface with that thing, you know? He has such control over this place that he's made for you. Right. This little world that he could be like, I'm just going to turn the lights off for a minute or whatever. And, and just, and, and just, it's okay. You know, it's going to be all right. And that's, I don't know. That's one of the feelings that I get from, from his music in general is like, yeah. it's going to be okay. It's amazing how his embellishments take you to the edge of a cliff and you and he always knows how to get back you mm -hmm. know it's like a tightrope walker you know he's always doing tricks and yet they're not really tricks they're part of the same performance and never lose the integrity um, of the whole composition that's why listening to this again and just hearing you speak about it uh, made me you know rethink some things about the tune I mean it's it's not through composed in a sense, but it feels like it. You know, there's mm -hmm. a way it feels like, even though he's stretching the limits, um, you know, in his improvisations. That's, that's amazing. It's amazing. With that, I mean, I really thank you so much for all your brilliant insights and your music. And I hope that we can continue to talk about Earl Garner and all music and life itself uh, in the near future. Well, thank you so much, Robin. This is like a big learning experience for me and really appreciate your time. Yeah, well, thank you. Errol Garner Uncovered is a production of Octa Music. Our show is produced by me, Pete Lockhart, with Michael Saltzman and Alex Arif. Our executive producer is Susan Rosenberg. You can find the newly expanded and remastered edition of That's My Kick anywhere you listen to music and learn more about our new box set, Liberation and Swing, at errolgarner.com. Join us next time for a very special double episode featuring bassist, composer, artistic director, and host of NPR's Jazz Night in America, Christian McBride, along with our very own creative ambassador, pianist and composer Christian Sands. They joined Dr. Kelly for a tour through Garner's Grammy-nominated 1968 album, Up in Errol's Room. You won't want to miss it. <laughs>